the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. We think about the Christian experience. We try to wrap our minds around what God's grace is and what that means. And, of course, we can intellectualize this. We can attribute to grace unmerited favor. We can try to think through what this means. And yet, I have to be honest with you, in the hmm, 40 years, I guess, now that I've been a Christian, as much as I think about grace and appreciate grace and experience grace and have it touch my life on a day-to-day basis, there's an aspect of grace that I don't understand, and that's probably a good thing, because there are aspects about grace that go so far beyond, I think, our ability to intellectualize it. This holy and righteous God, in front of whose eyes we have all sinned, as we're told in Romans 3 and 23, dead in our transgressions, and yet while we were sinners, while we were yet sinners, God sent his only begotten Son to die on our behalf, that through that substitutionary work on the cross, we might not only be saved and forgiven, but reconciled unto him and experience grace in our day-to-day lives. Brian Christopher has written a new book called Simple Gospel, Simply Grace, How Your Christian Life is Really Supposed to Work. Bob, by the way, is CEO of Basic Gospel and host of the daily call-in radio program of the same name, Basic Gospel. And Bob, thanks so much for being with us tonight. Well, thank you, Craig. It's great to be with you. Looking forward to the time together. It's an important topic, I think, because um, believers, I think, of, of any stage in their walk with Christ need to be reminded of how incredible this grace is that God has shown toward us and the totality of what it means is we see Christ as that bridge between death and life and, and what it means to be reconciled unto very God himself because of his grace for us, um, I think ought to simply leave every Christian, again, no matter what stage they're at in their walk with Christ, ought to leave every Christian absolutely with their minds blown by this. Oh, Craig, absolutely. Um, Most theologians, when they get to their later stages of life, and this has been through 2,000 years of church history, you know, when asked, you know, what is the most important subject uh, about Christianity? And they always choose the word grace. Um, Because even if they've been Christians for 50 years, 70 years, 80 years, they feel like they've just uh, scratched the surface. 
And, and grace is one of these big words. I mean, Jesus Christ is full of truth and grace. Jesus Christ is grace itself in, in essence. And when you think how big Jesus is, that's when you start to get a idea of just how big this grace of God is and how powerful it is to make us alive together with Christ. So I think it's the most important subject, uh, most important word in the in the Bible, apart from Jesus Christ and, and the word God itself. Is it a word that we need to keep coming back to again and again and again? In other words, sometimes you, you, you hear some that might suggest that this grace is a one-time experience, that God showed his grace toward mankind uh, there at Calvary. We can uh, partake of that grace in our salvation experience, and then once one once it's done, it's done. Is is it that way, Bob, or is it really an ongoing experience? Well, it's an ongoing experience. I say in the book, you know, once grace gets started, it never ends. And uh, you know, one of my favorite writers is D. Martin Lloyd Jones. Oh, yes. He said this: the Christian life starts with grace; it must continue with grace, and it ends with grace. Grace, wondrous grace. You never can get away from it. And as soon as you start getting away from, you know, the grace grace of God, I find that's when things start to mess up. Um, I, I find that's when, you know, I get anxious, I lose peace, I've, you know, I have this restlessness inside. But every time I circle back to the grace of God and get a fresh look at what that exactly means, in, in my everyday life, things start to settle down, and, and, and the peace of God that passes all understanding begins to fill up all the spaces in, in your mind. So I don't think we can ever get away from grace. I, I, I know most people and many folks um, communicate it as kind of first-grade stuff, but really it is, it is the foundation, it's the building, it's the roof, it's, it's everything about this Christian life. Your book title, uh, Simple Gospel, Simply Grace, uh, might suggest that there's a simplicity to this. And I guess it's kind of interesting because it, it it's simple to the degree that Scripture lays it out for us, and yet there's a level at which I don't know that we can ever really fully understand grace, can we? No, I don't think we can fully under, understand it because it's, it's really the essence of who Jesus is. And so we're ever going to be growing in our knowledge of, of Christ and growing in the grace of God and learning how this grace of God applies in, in everyday life. So it's a lifelong endeavor to grow in grace. And then, uh, you know, when we go to be with the Lord, when He comes back, when we all receive these resurrected bodies, we're going to stand as as testimonies to the grace of God throughout eternity. Uh, and boy, just when you think of that, then you realize just how powerful and how wonderful this grace really is. Break it down in terms of, of understanding um what this means when we talk about grace, um, we say unmerited favor, and uh, people might think, well, you mean like when the when the judge uh, throws out my parking ticket when I really should have gotten it anyway? Or <laughs> help us better understand that. Okay. Well, I think that's a really good question. And, uh, you know, if, if uh, you know, a judge throws out our parking ticket or uh, a cop decides not to give us uh, a ticket when indeed we've been speeding, that's that's uh, on the mercy side of the equation. Um, so that's withholding from us what we justly deserve. 
grace is giving to us what we do not deserve. Um, so grace is this very present, active word in our lives. So all of us, when we come into this world, we're dead in trespasses and sin. So spiritual death is a big problem. We don't deserve life. There's nothing that we could do to merit life. There's nothing that we could do to bring it about for ourselves. So God, in his grace, has to reach down to us, even though we were dead, and make us alive together with Christ. So that's the first aspect of God's grace. It's, you know, when you read that uh, passage, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. It's, it's a gift of God, not of ourselves. Well, the whole context of that passage is going from death to life, that God makes us alive together with Christ. That's grace. He gives us what we did not deserve. And then it's this life of Christ that sustains us. So we're always in his favor. Nothing can separate us from his love. Um, by his grace, he's forgiven us of all of our sins. By his grace, he teaches us to say no to sin and to live righteous, upright lives. By this grace, he builds us up. He encourages us. He gives us a brand new identity. He helps us through trials and tribulations uh, in life, and he works within us to bring about his purposes in our day-to-day experience. So grace touches every aspect of our lives. So I, I like to say that most people think of grace as a word that covers the past, but actually it's a word that meets us at our point of need in, in the present and moves us forward. So it's a forward-moving word. Uh, tied to Jesus Christ, His Spirit living within us. Um, that's just how wonderful it is. Bob Christopher with us tonight. We're looking at his latest book, Simple Gospel, Simply Grace, how your Christian life is really supposed to work. Uh, you might be a new believer in your faith and struggling through some of these questions, and, and uh, we want to encourage you to take the opportunity to get your questions answered. Maybe you've been in the, in the faith uh, walk for a lot of years, but there's still some things that you don't quite understand. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. We're visiting with Bob Christopher, the book, Simple Gospel, Simply Grace, How Your Christian Life is Really Supposed to Work. Let's talk a bit about this concept that you were sharing earlier that I I think is an amazing one and will help us perhaps understand a bit more about the breadth and depth of God's love for us. Um, You talked about grace and sort of the first part idea that we see it as withholding punishment. It's an idea of something that is being kept from us. So we get the speeding ticket, but the judge decides to let us go, even though he knows, we know, yes, we broke the law, yes, we are deserving of this punishment, but regardless, the judge shows his quote-unquote grace and keeps the punishment from us. But the grace of God goes so much further than that, as you were suggesting before the break, Bob, because it's not just a matter of God keeping a rightly deserved punishment from us, but then it's what he gives to us in and through that. Oh, absolutely. It is, it is Christ himself living in us. Uh, I've defined God's grace as this, God's work in Jesus Christ to make us spiritually alive and to power, empower us to live in this world as his children. 
so we we can't do that on our own and that's that's where i missed it for so long craig i i was trying to live out the the christian life with the old adage try harder every time i fell on my face i'd get up and make promises to god and you know i would just give it my best shot trying as hard as i could to live the christian life and the harder i I tried the tighter sin's grip became in my life and when i finally understood the grace of god as as being more than merely a covering for the past that's when the christian life started to make sense that's when i really discovered how it was supposed to work jesus christ living his life in and through us and i think that's what much of the christian world misses as far as the gospel message is concerned. Well, let's elaborate on this point for a moment. You, you mentioned, and I think rightfully so, the, the problematic viewpoint, which unfortunately in, in modern-day pop Christianity seems to be more and more prevalent, this idea of Christianity being a, like a self-help program or a self-improvement program. We hear this kind of nonsense preached from the pulpit of, of Joel Osteen. It sounds to me oftentimes like an Anthony Robbins seminar without walking on hot coals, and, and you have to pay, of course, or contribute to the uh, to the offering plate at some point during this service, but it it almost well it doesn't almost it outright cheapens grace and and turns what God is meaning to be this wonderful experience of as you suggest not just withholding punishment but then giving to us it it really short circuits and robs us of the fullness of His grace when we see it as just this sort of self and help or self improvement program. Yeah. God doesn't want to make us better. He wants to make dead people alive in Christ. I mean, our our old way of life was empty. Uh, Peter uh, really nailed it in his first letter when he said that life that was handed down to us from our moms and dads is nothing but an empty life. Uh, you can slice it every way you, you can, and it still comes up empty. So God sent Jesus to put an end to that old life and to raise us up with him so we could walk in the newness of life. And that newness of life is a life lived by grace, through faith, in Jesus. Um, And we really have to learn to embrace that simplicity. And, And here's where the difficulty lies, Craig. Faith is a foreign concept to us until Christ comes in our lives. And then we start to discover what a life of faith is all about. So constantly from, you know, Genesis through Revelations, we see these reminders. Trust the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Those who put their confidence in the Lord, those who believe the Lord. That's the one thing that God is looking for from us, a heart that believes Him. And in that faith, all kinds of incredible things happen in our day-to-day lives. But why is it that so often, Bob, we wind up getting bogged down in fear and in guilt? And it, it, it becomes, I, I think of, we see this every once in a while, some of these extreme sports programs on TV. And you watch these guys going white water rafting, and all of a sudden they're heading down, and they think they're having the grand old time, and all of a sudden the, the torment of the water overcomes the, the raft and overcomes them. They might find themselves suddenly out 
of control and running off the edge like you're about to head, you know, right over the the edge of the, I don't know, uh, Niagara Falls or something. And, and suddenly you become absolutely overwhelmed by fear and guilt, just like the guys get overwhelmed by the torrent of water when they get out of control. How, how do you how do you go about extracting yourself from that when the flow of the current is so fast? Well, Craig, that's a great, uh, that's a great point, and, and boy, a beautiful an- analogy there as far as fear in our lives. Um, you know, fear has to do with punishment. That's how John connected it in his, his first letter, and he says, perfect love cast away that fear. And if we're really going to grow in grace and embrace this new life that we have in Christ, we first have to settle that forgiveness issue. We have to recognize that the blood of Jesus actually did take away our sins once and for all. Um, That is, I think, one of the most critical truths that that we need to latch on to and really take our stand upon. And that's the fact that when we receive Christ... We receive forgiveness of sins. Um, Paul said it twice, once in his book to the Ephesians, once in his letter to Colossians, that in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So the question is, are you in Christ? And if you answer yes, then you can ask, well, what do you have according to these passages? Well, it says redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, the question that follows that is, do you really believe it? Do you really believe that right now, at this very moment, you have forgiveness of sins? And that becomes the real issue. If I struggle right there, that's when fear can take hold of my life. And we're going to pause on that point. When we come back, I want you to share with our listeners the uh, uh, Binaka story. I think it'll, it'll paint a nice picture that will ideally illustrate the challenge here, particularly in that sense where sometimes we struggle with the notion that his grace is insufficient for us because we see ourselves as being unworthy and unlovable. And there's nothing worse when we end up getting caught. We'll come back to more of the conversation with Bob Christopher as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Simple Gospel, Simply Grace. Bob Christopher, my guest on this segment of Lifeline. And uh, Bob, as we talk about the struggles that we often have with this notion of uh, feeling unworthy, unlovable, sometimes uh, just feeling uncomfortable with the fact that we feel this sense of fear and guilt. Uh, You've got a great story in the book about uh, your experience as a young man uh, with um, Binaka, which I have to be honest with you, when I first saw it, I thought, oh, I remember that. didn't realize they still made it. (laughs) But tell us a bit about that story. I think it, it ideally helps illustrate this point well well craig it it was uh an experience in seventh or eighth grade i got involved in a shoplifting gang and we would go into drug stores and and we would just steal things things that we didn't need and one of those things that we stole quite often uh was this little breath freshener spray called banaca well, one night, uh, Friday night, I spent the night with my friend David, and we went out and went to one of those stores, and we stole some banaca, and we stole a lock. Why? It just for the challenge of it, I guess. And uh, so we came back home, and you know, I went home the next day, and as as things would have it, David's mom went into his room, 
and started cleaning up and he and, and she found the lock and she asked david uh where'd you get this and uh he said well we stole it and you know he just he just he just caved like any person would and uh you know as moms do um you know she dug a little deeper and and david told the whole story about you know bob actually stole it and we got banaka too and so she uh you know tried to figure out what to do and then she picked up the phone and called my mom and uh that next monday i was delivering papers uh i had skipped out on my band band rehearsal i was a truant so you know i'm a thief and a truant and uh you know, mom's not real pleased with me. And uh, she says, get in the car. And I'm like, no, it's a beautiful day. And finally she says, Banaka. And I was just done. I unraveled <laughs> right then and there and knew I had been caught. And, you know, I could just imagine the punishment that was coming my way. And uh, mom and dad decided they were going to take me back to every store that I had stolen something from. And I was going to get in front of the manager and confess what I had done. And they were going to leave my punishment in these managers' hands. And fortunately for me, they were lenient and just required that I pay back, uh, pay them the money for the things that I, I stole, which I did. Um, but that didn't relieve my guilt because I knew, you know, my sin held something with God. And at that point, I just walked on eggshells wondering what God was going to do with me. I knew punishment was just around the corner. And that fear just overcame me in such a way that every time I sinned, I felt Jesus left me. And so I had this formula. I'd confess. I would 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 ask God to forgive. And then I would ask Christ to come back in my life. And I probably prayed 500 different times during my teenage years for Jesus to come back and live in my life because I didn't know what he had actually accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. And finally, I went to a Bible study, and the teacher started explaining Colossians chapter 2. When you were dead in your transpasses and sins, he made you alive together with Christ. He forgave all your sins. And that forgiveness just poured over me, just washed over me, and finally I rested in the finished work of Jesus. And that fear of punishment went away because I knew Jesus had taken my punishment for me. And in exchange for that, he gave me his righteousness. That's a pretty good deal. That's what grace is all about. God giving to us what we do not deserve. But because he loves us so much, he was willing to send Jesus to take our punishment for us so that we could stand in his presence as righteous as Jesus Christ himself. Let's get to some calls. We're going to head over to uh, Lee in Palo Alto. Lee, come on in with your comment or question for Bob Christopher. Well, the Banaka story was wonderful. I think uh, probably a lot of people could identify with it. I sure could. I remember beating myself up for years. But one thing that I wanted to ask, and I don't know how to ask it without sounding kind of like uh, expecting too much um, or or putting a demand on God, which would be like a sin in of itself. But my question would be, when you know you're forgiven, when you know that it's finished, how do you um, somehow 
experience God's grace, not, and not like the everyday grace where we have our health, we have the sun, we have our needs and whatever, but God's unmerited favor on a day-to-day basis with Him actually walking with us. Um, I, I don't know if I asked that right. I just, I'm yeah. not talking well, I think about I, I'm, I'm following what you're saying there, uh, Lee, as, as far as how we experience the grace of God. I, I think the first way we experience it is, is, is by resting in His finished work. You know, mo- most of us are, are tense inside, we're anxious inside, because we're not sure if God really loves us or not, or if God has forgiven us or not. And when we finally come to that point and recognize that the work has been finished, we experience this sense of rest uh, inside of us. So that's the first way we experience it. And then we experience it um, by the Word of God becoming strong in our lives and, and us learning to say no to the temptations uh, of, of this world and the temptations of sin. We recognize that what the world has to offer is just empty. And so I think we see a, a sense of victory in our lives as far as the world is concerned. And then I think the third way that we experience the grace of God is is by really getting to know the heart of the Father and learning to see the world through His eyes and people through His eyes. And we get so caught up on in morality and trying to make the world a better place, but God sees people's hearts and he and he sees people in one of two ways. You either belong to him or you're still lost and dead in sin. And when we see it from God's perspective, then our hearts start to melt and we want to reach out with that gospel message. So the the grace just gives us, uh, I think, deeper insight into the very heart uh, of of God the Father and what His love is all about for this world and the people that we shoulder uh, with every single day of our lives. Does that help, Lee? Yeah, it does. It helps greatly. I, I remember in the Old Testament where you had these people that poured out their hearts to God, like Hannah, who couldn't have the child, and, and when she was in the temple with Eli, and, and she just poured out her heart, and, and God gave her the grace of answering that prayer. And I think the third one, because I, I know in my case, I, I know I'm saved, and I'm in the Bible often and around other believers, but I want to see the, the, the Holy Spirit type, um, uh, how can I put it, like answer to prayer more than just, in, in our area, maybe it's just this area, it seems like there's a lot of Christians, but we're kind of impotent. Well, I think you're I think you're right because um, you know our greatest asset, as far as believers are concerned, is is a knowledge of God. We really know what God is like because Jesus Christ has has made that known to us. You know, when we see Jesus, we see the Father, and so as we grow in our relationship with Jesus, and as we grow in our knowledge of who He is. I think we're going to see our hearts melt toward the world in a way that we want to reach out and, and connect those people to the love of Christ just as we have been connected to the love of Christ. So just uh, just make it your prayer that, Lord, I want to grow in your grace. I want to grow in, in the knowledge of who you are. 
and I guarantee you that's a prayer he will answer, and you will see that being answered in time. Very helpful. All right, we appreciate your call tonight, Lee. I guess part of this too is 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 the ongoing struggle that we have with the flesh, Bob. Um, we we at a level because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit recognize that we are in need of of forgiveness. Uh, we recognize that we have sinned and offended a holy and righteous God, and and yet it's difficult for us sometimes, once having had his grace extended to us, to fully accept that, embrace that, and I guess at certain levels, um, even learn uh, the concept of forgiving ourselves as much as God has forgiven us. I, I got a kick in your book. You make reference, and this, I think, shows the, the level at which mankind struggles with this, that Stanford University here in our backyard actually has something they call the forgiveness project. Yes, yes, they do. And, and they're trying to figure out if forgiveness is really an essential part of, of well-being and health and, uh, you know, normal relationships. And they're discovering that that's, that that's the case. Um, but, but they spend a lot of time on this idea of forgiving ourselves. And, and it's interesting when you, when you scour the Word of God, there, there's no place there where God says you need to forgive yourself. What he does say is stand firmly in the forgiveness that I've given you in Christ. And when you recognize that, then you're able to let go of the past. You're able to let go of those things that you've been dragging around in life for years and years and years. So when when we stand firmly in what Christ has accomplished, that's when we can really forgive ourselves and let go of the past and fully embrace um, the resurrected Christ here and now. Bob, we sure appreciate the time and the book, Simple Gospel, Simply Grace, How Your Christian Life is Really Supposed to Work. The new book, by the way, published by Harvest House and available at Christian bookstores throughout the Bay Area as well as through Amazon.com and uh, Bob's website, too, simplegospelsimplygrace.com. And there again is Bob Christopher, host of the call-in radio program, Basic Gospel. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We interrupt our program to bring you a special broadcast. The German news agency Transocean said today in a broadcast that the Allied invasion had begun. I repeat, the German news agency Transocean said today in a broadcast that the Allied invasion had begun. There was no Allied confirmation. Soldiers, sailors, and airmen of the Allied Expeditionary Force. You are about to embark upon a great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. Bob Trout and Edward R. Morrow, respectively, there of CBS News, from a broadcast dating back 67 years. And turn our memories back toward that important battle that was really the beginning of the end, certainly, of World War II in Europe. Um... And it's amazing because if we think about the ensuing years that have passed, imagine for a moment the fact that most of the boys, and many of them were just that, 17, 18-year-old boys, that landed on beaches with names like Utah and Normandy uh, on that date back in 1944, that many of them today would be in their late 80s. This, as um, Tom Brokaw called it, indeed, 
America's greatest generation, who saw some of the most difficult times, built some of the greatest character, to be sure, of any generation. And as we are losing contact with these brave men and women day by day as the clock ticks down, I think it's important to be reminded of the tremendous sacrifices that they made for all of us. Much of that takes place inside the pages of a book by my next guest. The book is called Quiet Hero, Secrets from My Father's Past. And joining me tonight on the program is a young lady who certainly is a familiar voice to many of us. Uh, She is an award-winning journalist, three times over, in fact, receiving Emmy Awards. She has been a correspondent on um, such highly rated news programs as Fox News, MSNBC, and uh, currently with CBS, and um, is the author of this new book. And Rita Cosby, thanks so much for taking time to be with us tonight. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be with you. And, and Craig, I have a news flash for you. Um, I just found out I made the New York Times bestseller list a few minutes ago. Well, congratulations! So you are the first one to know, aside from my father. You know, <laughs> being a, being a journalist from way back, I always love a scoop, and so I'm I'm pleased to be able to scoop. Let me re, let me reiterate the introduction. And New York Times bestselling author Rita Cosby. <laughs> oh, I'm so thrilled! And I'll just say, I literally just hung up the phone with my dad, Craig who is alive, as you talk about a lot of these guys in their 80s, my dad is 85, he was so choked up and so happy because you think about here is a guy who could not speak almost a word of English when he was saved by U.S. troops and said, I want to come to America because America is the greatest country in the world and came from, you know, Poland, was a teenager, thrust to war, comes to America. And for it to be on the bestseller list, my father is so touched and so humbled and so happy that people are learning about this part of history and, and also learning about the comrades, many of whom did not make it back. You know, it's an amazing story because as much as we think about, you know, television channels like the Military Channel that are dedicated to the events of World War Two and the books that are out there um, and, and so much material, and yet there are so many stories that have never been told and it's interesting because this this generation uniquely kind of kind of had that we went we did a job we came back and now we're moving on with life e- even in your own experience in the case of bringing your dad's story to print uh, was one that you literally accidentally ran into oh absolutely and my father as you talked about never talked about this and to this day you could even tell when i just broke the, you know the news that we made the new york times bestseller list he was so humbled and so happy that this story and that the comrades are getting the recognition. It's always about someone else. It's never his story. It's always, I'm happy that the Polish people and I'm happy that the American troops are getting the recognition. And and that is endemic of that whole group, that whole generation. There's just this incredible dignity. And in my father's case, you know, this story, you know, I hope that people get it. First of all, for for Father's Day, it is the perfect gift. And the information's on quiethero.org, quiethero.org. It's called Quiet Hero secrets from my father's past, because part of the proceeds, by the way, go to wounded troops and their families, so it goes to a great cause. But my father, you know, this is very much a bit of a love story, too, because my dad and I really did not know each other until a few years ago. And um, when I grew up, I knew my father went through war. I did not know what he went through. I remember seeing scars all over his body, Craig, when he was, you know, when he came back from a run. And I was eight years old, and I remember this moment vividly. We were camping. He came back jogging, took his shirt off. He was drenched in sweat. And I remember all of a sudden he took his shirt off, and I saw these scars all over his arms and a hole in one of his arms. And I remember thinking, that doesn't look normal. And asking my mother, what happened to Dad? Did he get in a fight or something, you know, like a a curious child? And my mother said to me, I'll never forget this, she said, Rita, your father went through tough times growing up. 
we don't talk about it. Mm. And the door was closed. And then my father left the family one Christmas very abruptly. You know, I heard my parents arguing in the other room, and my dad said, I'm leaving. And I thought he was leaving work, and it turned out he was leaving us. And so I really did not have a father present in my life for decades. And I, you know, grew, you know, grew up on television, you know, with, and my mother was really my mother and my father. And here I was, you know, at the pinnacle of my career, you know, doing all this great stuff on television, and yet, you know, did not have a father present in my life. And I always wondered what happened to my dad and why he was so detached. And then suddenly my mother passed away. And in my mother's belongings, my brother and I found this old suitcase. And inside was essentially my father's life. It was a rusty POW tag. And then I emblazoned with the word Stalag 4B on it and a prisoner number. And then I found a red and white fighting Polish armband with blood and dirt all over it. And then I found a card that had code names. This person had this sort of secret life. And then I found a card of an ex-POW named Richard Kosobutsky. And when I saw this, Craig, I just wept. I, and it was this moment in my life, and it wasn't that long ago. This was, you know, just about two years ago. And I sat there in the storage locker. And I said to myself, you know what, I have not had a father present. My father certainly made a lot of mistakes. You know, he left us, you know, high and dry. And my mother was devastated. We were devastated. And never understood what happened to my father emotionally, too. Or I could forgive this man, because clearly whatever pain I went through could not compare to what he went through as a prisoner of war. You know, and that's the amazing part of this story, because for many that are familiar around the periphery of the history of World War II, and sadly even those numbers are, are, are dwindling, um, you know, we, we think of some of the early events that took place in Europe, the Anschluss, the annexation of, of uh, Austria, literally swallowing up with Czechoslovakia, but the linchpin, the implosion point, was, in fact, the German invasion of Poland in September of 39. And, and, and you what know, it's interesting, Craig. My father was outside, saw the invasion, literally saw the invasion at the beginning of World War II. And, and, and it's interesting because we, we look at the fall of Poland that took place so rapidly, and, of course, you know, we, we won't spend time tonight um, in our brief moments together, Rita, pointing fingers at how the, the French made promises that they did not keep, the British made promises that they the did Russians not keep, totally the Rus- the Poland, and the Russians yeah. ended up becoming complicit with the Germans and swallowing up Poland. But the battle particularly for Poland and for Warsaw, and this, you know, we're left with the impression that the country surrendered inside of a week, but that really isn't true, particularly for that battle that took place in Warsaw. And your dad at the time, I understand, from your book, Rita, Quiet Hero, was a teenage resistance fighter there in Warsaw. Oh, and right in the throes of it. And and you obviously have a great sense of history, Craig. You know, and I, it's amazing when you hear these stories. And as you pointed out early on, this is a story that is rarely told. So often we hear about the American GIs and all of their incredible heroics, you know, which deserve to be told. And this is a story, a very unusual story, even for folks who know World War II quite well. You rarely hear such a deeply personal story of being in the inside of the Polish resistance. And in my father's case, he was 13 when World War II, he saw the planes hovering above. And his father thought it was an air show. And my dad said, no, I don't think that's an air show. And the next thing they know, the, plane, the bombs are dropping. And my father, at a very young age, decided to become a resistance fighter and became a very, apparently, you know, apparently a, a quite courageous one from the records and from other comrades who did survive. And my father was in some of the most brutal fights. I mean, you can imagine. And the stories of the resistance are incredible, of incredible heroics and I think just 
utter patriotism. And, and, and it's so inspiring to know that, you know, here my dad, you know, here he is a teenager, and they had Molotov cocktails and sticks. At one point in their unit of 150 men, they had two guns. And yet they are charging the most vicious war machine in the world. And my father was fighting the Nazis for five and a half years. Think about it. Five and a half years with Molotov cocktails and sticks, basically. He was fighting a hundred yards from his house. And I think that's why they were such ferocious fighters and such incredible fighters. With anything they had, they were going to fight because they were fighting for survival of their country, survival of their family. And then ultimately my father was captured. He was taken to a POW camp and didn't know if he was going to live another day and luckily escaped. And, you know, my favorite part of my dad's story, Craig, and I think this is this is a great reminder of who we are as Americans. Because my father counts his blessings every day that he lives in the greatest country in the world. He escaped at 90 pounds and six feet tall. Can you imagine? And he's one of the more healthy guys. And he's in the woods, he's with fellow comrades who escaped with him. And there he is in the woods and he looks up and he sees a plane. And they think, okay, it's a German plane, and they die for the ditches. And then the plane comes by again, and they think, you know, they're in Germany. They're in the you know, middle of Nazi-controlled Germany. It's wartime. You know, they, you, you're, it's crazy in the camp. It's dangerous as heck in the camp. But you can imagine how scary it is outside of the camp, too. You know, I mean, what do you do? You're in Nazi-controlled territory. And suddenly they look up, and something was thrown out of the plane, and they just assumed it was a grenade, and they died for the ditches. And then they look up, and they see a star. And they realize that it's an American plane. And what was dropped out was a chocolate bar with a note wrapped around it, tied with a red ribbon. And the note said, Welcome. It's safe to walk now during daytime. There are no troops between you and our American lines. Mm. You have 15 miles to walk, and you're free. Let's pause at that point. We'll pick up the story around the corner. If you've just tuned in, our conversation tonight, saying this phrase for the first time on radio, New York Times bestselling author, Rita Cosby, a look at Quiet Hero. More information, by the way, on the book, and you can order it, too, online at quiethero.org. We'll come back to more of Rita's story and the story of her father as this edition of Lifeline continues.